think I'm doing those eyes. <laughs> I think I'm in love. It was terrifying. The pain, the, the fear of being eaten. I was drowning at the same time. I just accepted that I was going to die. Was there a bit of fandom for you when it came on? Oh, huge. Not- and I did not try to hide. <laughs> did not try to hide at all. Out of the Box with Serge Negus on FBI. Thanks to Alex Pye for the epic morning of Sydney music and culture news. If you missed anything she played, you can head over to fbiradio.com to catch up on mornings or any other program here at the station. Now, today I'm joined by someone who you'll definitely know because throughout the years they've solidified themselves as pretty much one of the biggest media personalities in the country. He's graced various radio shows over the last two decades, and I know that makes him sound old, but he's definitely not. He was a presenter on Channel V during its heydays in the early 2000s. Then he went on to host Australian Idol, and now you'd know him as the host of The Bachelorette and The Bachelor. But behind all of those crazy showbiz titles, he's also a deeply philosophical, political and conscious bloke who has also been through his fair bit of shit in his time. He is, of course, Osher Ginsberg. Mate, thank you for coming on the show. Serge, you're very kind. (laughs) Very nice. Thank you for having me on your beautiful radio station. It's lovely to be here. Been a listener since uh, FBI got the license. I was a part of a station that was competing for the community license back Uh in the day. We didn't get up because something about FBI being a more appropriate, which you were. Well, we were a station called Groove FM, and all we did was play mid to late 80s, <laughs> early 90s um, Groove and Go-Go when we were playing shit like Rare Essence on a breakfast nice. radio show. Was, that sounds epic. It'll it do was, really well these days, I reckon. It, oh, no. No? No, no, no. no. It's, it didn't fulfill the license <laughs> policies, but... But yeah, so I was like, what is the station that got up? And oh, wow, they're really good. So, well, it's become quite an institution. It is. Yeah. I mean, it, I love it. It's a great community. Anyone out there who wants to get involved in a great community, highly recommend yeah. coming community, in. Yeah, uh, community you can. radio is, is very, very important. Some of the greatest personalities that are around in Australian uh, broadcasting started in community radio. And um, uh, you know, I you know, from my short, even though I started in broad, uh, mainstream radio, um, my uh, music career, uh, which was uh, when I played um, bass and fretless bass and upright bass in a in a very strange funk metal band. Look, it was <laughs> the early nineties, Serge. It was the fashion at the time. Uh, we were very much supported by a radio station in Brisbane called Four Triple Z, which I listened to my whole youth. So, yay, community radio. Yeah, bloody oath, bloody oath. Well, it's a pleasure having you on here. But look, something, you just touched on it then, your your youth in Brisbane. I mean, obviously a lot of people would know who you are, but they don't really know who you really are. Dun, dun, dun. So can you tell us about your family background? Because it's quite fascinating, especially in the context of some of the political issues that are going on in Australia at the moment in relation to refugees. Yeah. Tell us about your family. Well, to be fully, uh, you know, um, acknowledging the privilege that my family had, after World War II, my mum... My mum's family, my grandfather and my mum, travelled from Lithuania fleeing the Russians. They actually fled with the retreating German army. Um, And they ended up in Germany. They went all around Europe. Long story. but um, And they ended up on a... a, They couldn't get into America. After World War II, a lot of people were just like, let's get the hell out of Europe. All right, let's just get out of here as far as Mm -hmm. we can go. Um, They couldn't get on a boat to America where everyone else was going because my aunt had a cough that they thought was TB. But... Um, we got on a boat to Australia. My aunt got better. And the white Australia policy was in full effect at the time. And Mm -hmm. being from Lithuania, it doesn't get much more white than that. So 
we were very privileged in that we got on, my family was very privileged in that we got on that boat. Mm -hmm. Uh, But yeah, my mum's family arrived by boat and they went to uh, Woodside, which is a a camp which is still used for processing refugees in on the outskirts of Adelaide. Um, my dad uh, fled, um, same country 20 years later, fled the Russians when they came and cracked down on Prague in the Prague Spring in the end of the 60s. And then my dad had to flee in the middle of the night with nothing. Uh, he ended up in London. And um, my mum had been seeing a man that was out in Australia blowing up atomic weapons for the British. Wow. Um, I was saying, it wasn't just like, you know, like casually, hey, let's go blow some nukes yeah, up in yeah. the desert. No, he was out here um, doing the Merilinga tests. And, wow, um, that's a that's an amazing piece of history. Yeah, yeah. She, so she went back with him, but he turned out to be a drunken idiot. And so she left him. And then a few years later, ran into my dad. And then my big brother showed up and I showed up. By that point, the grandfather that brought the family out to Australia um, got quite ill. And back then, you just moved. Hmm. So they came out here to spend the last year of his life with him, and uh, we kind of stayed. There you go. And that was my young, two younger brothers came after that. So I'm one of four boys. How does like that that heritage, I guess, you know, with with being you know, a family of like you know refugees who have been through this persecution, how how does that set you up in terms of your ideals? Well, as, it's, as look, a, it's pretty evident, and you know, again, I'm really really lucky in that. Um, you know, I how I experienced these things was secondhand, not firsthand. Um, but and it wasn't until years later when I um, I was actually I spent a fair amount of time in Israel. Um, my ex-wife was Israeli. I learned about a thing called survivor syndrome, and that it was a generational thing, mm-hmm. and that you know um, things like hiding food under the bed and being super paranoid about lights being on at night and um, you know, being really afraid of strangers and that stuff kind of gets passed down to kids. Wow. Because um, we grew up as well with my, my grandmother, my dad's mum came out to Australia, someone who'd lived through World War Two and all the stuff that went down in Prague. Um, and so, yeah, like victory over Hitler was feeding your children. So, you know, I got pretty fat because <laughs> it was, you know, it was like, hey, hey, we won. You should eat because, yeah. you know, days, weeks would go by when there wasn't food. So that is, so that is a thing that, you know, and I didn't understand that that was a common thing until I'd spent some time in Israel where, the, you know, it's, 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 you know, whether you agree or disagree with its existence, it is a large population of people who all fled uh, incredible persecution and mm. the, the murder of like there's no one that you meet there that doesn't have a family member that was murdered in, yeah. in World War Two, um, so it's a really common thing. Yeah, wow, that's uh, fascinating. There, and I didn't know about it until until I got there. So that kind of kind of painted a bit of the the the, the, the frame of which I looked through the world as a, as a kid. So do you still hide food under your bed? No, I don't know. <laughs> that stuff was my grandma. It doesn't. Yeah, so it doesn't yeah. like it doesn't manifest in funny ways for you at all or anything like that. Oh. I wouldn't say it does, but, um, you know, anytime I, you know, I hear the word Q jumper, Mm. I'm like, look, you, you know, I I can only imagine that the only person that would ever say, utter, write the word type, the word Q jumper Mm. is someone who has never been in a situation where the uncertainty and fear of 
fleeing what you have and everything you've ever known, your culture, your country, everyone you've ever known, everything that defines you to a place where you don't know the language, you don't know the people, the, 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 the food's different, the birds are different, the trees are different, everything smells is different, there's different rules, a different society. If that wasn't less dangerous than what you're dealing with right now. Exactly. And um, I guess that's the thing that, you know, it did, you know, kind of... And I only, you know, really started realizing that later in life when yeah. I think it was when, when the Tampa thing happened um, in 2000 and 2000, 2001. Um, that's when I really started, you know, obviously seeing a lot of people who are really angry about, yeah, God, there's plenty of queue jumpers. And I was yeah. like, well, no, that's, you know, it's like that line is like you never, you don't get into the boat in North Africa. You don't put your kid into that boat in the in the Mediterranean if the water is less dangerous yeah. than yeah. what you're running away from. And, you know, that is, you know, possibly certain death to get into that boat. But possibly certain death is better than certain death. It's crazy, <laughs> really, isn't it? It's insane. I'm on the FBI, mate. <laughs> <I'm> ranting. <laughs> Sorry, not, I, said, I said fuck just then. So uh, that's all right. That. We, you can actually say fucking context, Osha, on the oh, show. Oh, yeah, okay. It's, Sorry. It's more than, more than welcome. But uh, look, in that context, you, you've been pretty vocal about Manus as well. Yes. Um, you know, give us a rundown of like your, your basic thoughts on Manus and what's going on politically with the football that's become. Um, look, the thing that defined us as a country... Uh, well, at least the the the, the European colonisation and, and and taking over of us as a country was it's an opportunity. It's an opportunity mm-hmm. to come and make something better than what you had, mm. and that um, was always the way when it came to promoting immigration to our country, and 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 certainly the one that my family benefited from, and and many 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 people in our country benefited benefited from after World War Two. And that you know, you know, give us a fair go. And I'm, I'm pretty sure it was the 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 Liberal government. I'm pretty sure it was Fraser, who granted um, and and brought all the the, the Vietnamese people mm, uh, who yeah. were stranded on that island in the 70s. Yeah. You know, uh, you know, it was just like even then the Conservative government. Yeah. No, this is who we are as a country, as Australians, and these people are in our region. We are the people to look after. And yeah. we give these pe- these are people who are in dire need of tr- uh, of safety, and and we are prepared to give it to them. And so we sent some Qantas planes over, and we did it. And yet now we're in this situation where, you know, we spend what was it nine or ten billion dollars on people who I'm pretty sure I'm pretty sure that even our Prime Minister Malcolm Turnbull said, look, if they'd flown here and overstayed a visa, they'd be here. Mm. But they didn't, and we can't back down from what we said. Mm. And that just breaks my goddamn heart, all right? And, you know, engaging with the people who, you know, when I write something about it on Instagram or I'll put something about it on Twitter, or engaging with the people who are, uh, if they are people, they might be bots, um, <laughs> engaging with them and talking about it, I'm always interested, okay, why? Why hmm. is that? You know, I used to be very aggro and go, we are just a racist, and that doesn't get you anywhere. Because <laughs> they might not be. Um, they might just be really afraid of, of something that, you know they believe in and so i'm always interested in what they believe in and um uh, you know i find i find from listening to the people that that are opposed to it is that it's very much about um economic refugees and, and this that and the other which all of it's been disproved all of it's been you know um what's the word De- debunked word? debunked no. yeah all of that stuff's been debunked mm. man and you know <laughs> In the face of facts, by proxy, 
we, as Australians who pay tax, are responsible for, you know, beating dogs to death in front of people who are looking for safety. Yeah. Mm. Is that who we are as a country? Mm. No. It's not. So let's not do that. It's insanity. Do I have a solution? God, no. I count roses on television. (laughs) All I know is that what we're doing and what we've done isn't probably the best thing that we're doing right now. We could probably figure out a better way to do it. Let's ask questions about how we can possibly do it a better way that protects or at least tries to salvage whatever is left of what makes us a country. Um, because right now that stuff is, is, is falling down the drain. And I, when I, I lived in Amsterdam for a little while, I worked at a business school over there and people would, you know, you know, I'd say I'm from Australia. They're like, oh, what's wrong with your country? With, <laughs> yeah, with the yeah. carbon tax? What did yeah. you, what's wrong with you guys? It's something you hear a you lot, know, isn't it? Yeah. They just couldn't believe that. What do you mean? You had it and then you didn't do it. Like that, the way we treat uh, refugees and people who are, you know, seeking help from danger, trying to protect their... Everyone wants the same thing, Serge. Everybody wants... Mm. You know, you want somewhere to rest your head at night. You want your kids to be safe. You want a couple of meals a day. If one meal a day will do it. Um, and, and you want your kids to do better than you do. That's it. And that's the same shit all over the world. I don't care where you're from. I don't care what pretend friend you believe in. I don't care what religion, what I think, whatever... Everyone wants the same thing. There is no human that doesn't want those things. Amen. And just realizing that those people are just like, they, they want what you want, man. It might not look like an HSV. It might not look, <laughs> it might not look like, you know, cracking a, cracking a six pack and checking out better homes and gardens on a Friday night. You know, it might, it might look like something completely different, but they just want the same thing, man. Of course. And, and that's what makes us as a country and has made us as a country um, for over... Over two hundred years. Well, as a country, I mean, we're getting yeah. into the stuff about. Well, let's let's hope that in the next yeah. l- next couple of years we can try and reverse that a little bit. But I'm, look, just, I'm just saying that there's got to be a better way to do there it. There has man. to be. There and and to be. do I have the solution? No. Do I believe in the current solution? No. Do I believe in the the solution that's being offered by the opposition? No. No, I don't mm. because they were complicit in starting the whole shit. Is there another solution out there? There probably is. We just haven't asked the right questions yet. Yeah. That's all I'm saying, man. Well, it's it's all ahead of us. And hopefully in the next couple of years with, you know, potential change of government, things start to get a little bit re- better for our friends in Manus and, you know, our friends as, as refugees it's, overall. It, mate, it's... it's <laughs> yeah. Look, hold on your hats, folks, because um, you, you think that... If you don't think that climate refugees aren't going to change the mm. world oh, yeah. if you don't think like our well, country isn't just going to go yeah well there's half, half a million like p- people that are going to be potentially displaced in bangladesh if you know the sea level rises by as much as half a million 15 million oh, sorry, people half live a, half a billion sorry it's 15, like 15 yeah. 50 million people live between i think within a, a meter and a half of the high tide mark mm. it's right? crazy right if that's Insanity. not going to utterly change what we know as borders as what we mm. know as culture um in southern india and south asia you don't think that's going to come our way? Mm. You don't think that, man, we're going to have to figure out how we're going to deal with this mm. and maybe you use this as a test case, eh? For sure. You know, kind of figure it out because it, it's coming, man. And, it and is. you know, which side of history do we want to be on, eh? The right side, hopefully. Well, look, I got to get into the music though first. The yeah, first sorry, song you've got I mean, this, 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 this <laughs> lefty rant has been brought to you by the bloke in the suit. <laughs> Throwing out roses. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, but we're, we're, we're going to get. 
we're going to get into the songs. The first song you've got for us, Let's Go Crazy by Prince. I mean, what does this song mean to you and why have you chosen it? Oh, look, um, your, your show is, let me just get this right. So your show is about like wanting to um, go through the, 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 out of the box, the record box, go mm. through the records that made your life, right? Yeah, yeah. It's an extraordinary concept. I love it. And Let's Go Crazy from Prince. I'll never forget the first time I heard it. I was in the back of my mum's Mitsubishi van in 1983 when this record came out and we just had a stereo put into the car nice. so two speakers man and it was fm 104 which was the only radio station in brisbane uh the commercial radio station in brisbane at the time and i heard this song and i knew what a guitar was but i had never heard a guitar played like that and i was like I want to do what that is and whatever is happening in this song. I want to know about it. I want to know about whatever Let's Go Crazy is. I want to know about the party he's talking about. I want to, I, I want to be there. This is amazing. And, um, you know, it, it started my lifelong obsession with Prince, uh, nice. who in my opinion is possibly, uh, I know in my opinion, is the greatest musician that, we've had the pleasure to be alive at the same time as Prince and Michael Jackson went toe to toe, head to head in the charts. All right. At the time, Michael Jackson would go into the recording studio with all of the money he'd made in part of the Jackson five and the Jacksons. And then, uh, Quincy Jones and the, the might of Quincy Jones, this incredible record producer and the greatest session players that money could buy. He had the dude from Brothers Johnson play bass on Beat It. It was like incredible musicians that he got. And boom, he comes out with Thriller. Prince goes into the studio alone. Mm. He walks out of the studio alone with a fully mixed, mastered album. Wrote, produced, recorded, performed by. The guy is incredible. Genius. And I've had the pleasure of seeing him a bunch of times. I was even at the fabled, the legendary 2003 basement gig, which he played. He went on stage at this now over, now dead pile of rubble Sydney Entertainment Centre. He went on stage, I think, at nine. He came off stage at 11.49 or 50.59, like just, just before the curfew, mm. right? They came on the PA and said, the gig will continue with the t- at the basement. We went, so we went down there. He went on stage at the basement at, Two, I know one thirty. He on the stage at one, and he played till four thirty in the morning. Wow, what an experience! Well, let's whack it on then. This is let's go crazy for Prince. We are gathered here today to get through this thing called life. Electric word life it means forever, and that's a mighty long time. But I'm here to tell you, there's something else. The afterworld, a world of never-ending happiness. You can always see the sun, day or night. So when you call up that shrink in Beverly Hills, you know the one, Dr. Everything will be alright.
out of the box in FBI Radio. My name is Serge Negus. My guest today is Osher Ginsberg. He is obviously the presenter of The Bachelorette and The Bachelor and a bunch of other television and radio shows over the years. But um, look, something that I think in, is interesting in the way that people perceive public profile people is that they stand up and they have to have this confidence to be able to do what they do or people think that they do and that mentally they seem to be in complete control because they have to have that confidence to stand up in front of thousands or millions of people. Is that a bit of a facade? Is it? Is it? Are people in the in public eye as confident and as mentally kind of strong as, as people perceive them as? I've had the occasion to meet a few mm. uh, in my life. Um, I can only really... So I wouldn't know what's true for all of them. I've certainly met some people who do, do what I do, who have confidence that I just envy and I have control over their lives that I just like, wow, how do you do that? You're mm. like, you know a Formula One driving airline pilot who's an astronaut. <laughs> you know, you've got it all dialed in. In my case, Serge, um, the, I always have had, uh, uh, since, uh, you've got me at a good point because it's quite fresh in my mind because I'm writing a memoir right now. And I, so I was going back to the times when I first felt like true anxiety and mm-hmm. true panic, true proper, proper panic attack. I was about three. So oh, the fear of that coming over me and every, just kind of lurked in the background every single day mm. of my life. And I remember, and it was just like chatting in the background, chatting like as if, you know, as you as you're leaving Sydney and you're kind of starting to lose the FBI signal, you can kind of I can't I can't go. What's he saying? Can't quite hear it. It's like always there, all the time, mm. lurking. The first time I stood on stage, because for me, the the way my anxiety manifests is, uh, I'm, I'm afraid of a, of a of a lack of control. I'm afraid of what might happen, mm-hmm. and bad things might happen when I'm not in control. Mm. When else am I more in control than when I'm standing on stage and I'm talking and everyone's listening? Right? When am I more in control than when I'm on camera speaking and millions of people, uh, hundreds and hundreds of people in the studio, like 800 people, I think we had an idol, and, and millions of people watching at home are watching while I'm speaking. Like, it is absolute serenity. The first time I did it, it was like all of the noise stopped and I felt like I felt relaxed. And that's the wow. thing. That's the thing that is kind of like... I chased this the whole time, even in my radio career. I, I chased it the whole time. It's like those little brief moments, eight seconds, 20 seconds, a, you know, a minute uh, at a time of this respite from the the noise. That's almost the opposite of what most people would think. Yeah. That's oh, yeah, completely, yeah, yeah. In, like, I find that just fascinating that you, that's the way, it's so, almost like your comfort zone. It's of one course of I chased it. It was. Like, it got, I got paid for my coping mechanism. Wow, that is absolutely It's the thing bizarre. I chased. It's the thing, I, and I still chase it today. You know, I'm yeah. a lot better at dealing with it now. Yeah. Um, I've got way more tools and, you know, um, you know, a lot of, you know, very clever doctors have prescribed a lot of very cleverly created medication that have, you know, helped me get mm. to a point where I'm, you know, a lot healthier. But um, at, the, at the core of it, man, like, that's what it is. Wow. That's what it is. That's fascinating. I mean, but things got pretty bad for you. And you, you, yeah. you even say that you like you, you had an episode where you basically lost your mind. Yeah, yeah. What I, does it feel like to lose I, your mind? For, for, for people listening who, you know, might not have had any experience with that. I mean, like, how do you know? Well, I, I experienced psychosis uh, in early 2014. Um, it was a, a couple of, it was one, you know, a couple of really powerful episodes of psychosis um, that kind of came and went. Um, sometimes they last 
an hour. Sometimes they last days. Um, uh, mostly manifesting as paranoid delusions where basically the my doctor explained it to me this way, that the difference between neurosis and psychosis, right? Mm. Neurosis is, say, for example... Surge, your you know your your lover, your partner dumps you. They don't mm. want to be with you anymore, and so you feel you want it to change. You want the reality to change, and so you feel this pain. You know, like you might have lost a you know lost a parent, lost a child, lost a job. You're sad, and you you want the reality to change, but the reality won't change, and so you feel the pain inside you. Mm-hmm. All right, psychosis is when that pain gets so great, your brain just goes. If, if the reality is not going to change, I'll just change reality. And so your brain reinterprets the reality to protect you from, from that. And so I started my, what I saw, heard, um, interpreted through the inputs into my body, mm. my ears, my eyes, my nose, my taste, um, started to get distorted. And I could no longer trust what I was seeing and hearing. Um, which is really weird. So what kind of set things are you seeing? Um, I was experiencing uh, paranoid delusions. Um, so I was, I was experiencing visual delusions. I wasn't necessarily hallucinating, but I was yeah. seeing things that weren't... Oh, I, guess, you know, I, was, I was experiencing like really vivid, um, vivid uh, uh, delusions of... Uh, of uh, I was, my, the thing that I was convinced of was that climate change was going to happen today. Okay. The sea was going to rise 15 metres by this afternoon mm. and I was the only one that knew. and i wanted and i was uh, it was everything i could do to not run up to people and grab them and scream at them and try and warn them to to run Uh, and did you realize that you know you were kind of it wasn't reality these feelings and these thoughts and did you know to get yourself out of there or find a safe space how like how did you react to that i was i was very very lucky um through an adult life filled with therapists that i've learned to kind of challenge um negative thinking and challenged thoughts but it wasn't until and i also learned to meditate but it wasn't until i was actually i knew something was really wrong because as i'm sober as well so i, I had to stop drinking because it, yeah that's another story um, it, it was no longer a choice to drink yeah. and, and and drinking um was a thing that i couldn't not do um uh, but through that, through getting sober, I kind of learned about automatic reactions, automatic thoughts, and to challenge them and go, okay, so I really want to yell at this person because I'm feeling angry, but what's anger? Anger is actually fear. Oh, I'm just scared. Why am I scared? Oh, because that person's much more successful than me. And I'm just, oh, right. Okay, okay, okay. And then you don't yell, yeah. all right? But all that stuff, you kind of process it. So I'd learned to question my thinking. Yeah. But I do remember meditating and in the days and weeks afterwards, I remember trying to meditate, trying to calm myself down. And I saw that every single thing that I was seeing was um, going back to this thing that I was terrified of. All right, so we're sitting in a radio studio right now. You might be listening and realize you might never have been in a radio studio. But you can imagine there's a bunch of microphones and computers and desks and headphones, right? So everything that I was seeing, like, oh, that microphone is made from petrochemicals and petrochemicals are going to... So it's all, right. all related to the climate change. Tini- so yeah, the tiniest little, little things, pinpoint. man, the tiniest, tiniest little things oh, wow. would, would just, just escalate and snowball into these explosions of into my brain. And that would happen every five to eight seconds. <sighs> all right? And so much Intense. so that it felt like I was... Like, uh, uh, you know when you're a kid, do you have brothers and sisters? Serge? Got one brother, yeah. Older, younger? Older. All right. So when, he yeah. come, when you're playing on the ground with some Lego and he comes up behind you and flicks you on the ear and you're like, ah! <laughs> and you flinch and, yeah, yeah. and it hurts. Yeah. All right. 
that's the, the, the thoughts were so painful, I would actually flinch and, and swat away as if I was trying to swat away a mosquito. Wow. All right. And so I was running on, I was living in America at the time, I was running on along Venice Beach. And so I'm running along, kind of swatting away at, 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 at mosquitoes that no one else could see and, and kind of grunting and it was like coming out wow. of me like that. Yeah, it was awful. It was yeah, really painful too. Your body hurts. And it was just like, it was relentless. It was like the, the, the scene in Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas when they're in bat country mm. and he's like ducking Freaking and weaving out. from these things that no one else can see. It was mm. like that. It was wow. horrible. How did you get yourself out of the situation? Well, I knew that I was in a lot of trouble mm. because in the same way that you are on a plane, right? You might be had never experienced mm. turbulence before and all of a sudden the plane starts shaking and everything's falling over and your drink's spilling but you look at the crew and the crew are like, yeah, so anyway, oh, I've heard this is really great club in uh, Brisbane I'm going to go to later on. And you go, oh, okay, if they're not panicking, I'm not panicking. Mm. And so I remember looking at everyone else around me in Venice Beach that day and no one else was worried. Everyone else was totally fine. Mm. And, and, you know, my brain's trying to scream at me, it's because they don't know. And I'm like, well, wow. okay, right, all right. So that's, okay. So I, I, I went, ran home and I called my doctor yeah. and I said, I, I need to see you. I yeah. called my psychologist that I've been seeing. So I need to see you and I need to see you today. Wow. Yeah. Um, and I called my doctor back in Sydney as well, uh, who first diagnosed me. And I said, this is happening. And he said, he said, oh, mate, you're in, okay, good. I'm glad you're seeing your psych there. But because uh, my psychiatrist was here in Sydney. Yeah. Uh, psychiatrist, for people don't know, psychologists can't, diag uh, can't, um, prescribe medication mm. it's like uh, uh psychiatrists can so i i see both yeah. so i describe the psychiatrist as like the mechanic and the psychologist as like the navigator okay all right if you were a rally driver mm -hmm. and i remember calling my doctor about there in australia and he said Look, whatever you do try, don't show up to an ear emergency because mm -hmm. you'll get committed oh wow and you you're in another country you probably won't get out in a hurry so just <laughs> don't do that wow yeah that. it was really scary man Whoa. it was really scary but it took a long time to get better it took what are we now we're in 2017 um it took it probably took a good um it probably wasn't until about a year ago mm. that things didn't start to feel yeah more okay but that was like a lot of drugs well i mean drugs i mean like antipsychotics and yeah. a, a lot of work and a lot of uh, it, it takes work, man. Yeah. But in the same way that, that this is just what my brain was doing, all right? Yeah. It, it, you know, you look on Instagram and you see someone who's got a, like mad six pack. You're like, they didn't just wake up like that. They've worked super hard every day and they watch their lifestyle. They get the right sleep. They eat properly. They they dedicate their day to to their their their, 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 their you know, with this purpose in mind so they can have that body. In the same way, I kind of have to do that stuff every day. That's fascinating. So it's like for mental health, for treatment, like especially like you're on the, like, um, you're the director of SANE and, you know, you're an advocate for, for mental yeah. health. And I mean, is like, it's a really interesting piece of advice to say that to, to manage your mental health, it is like exercising yeah. a bit of part of your body or about working for a particular goal. Like it's not something you just suddenly can get over. It's something no, you no, really no. have you, to work It takes for. a while to get better, but you yeah. can get better. And that's the other yeah. thing is you can get better. And life, it, it's not a permanent state unless you're really, really sick, um, yeah. which does happen, unfortunately. Um, but I guess the other thing is that even, even when I was like dealing with like, because I was still, you know, quite sick and dealing with episodes of psychosis, mm. like through second, second season of Bachelor, like I'm on television trying to talk to these guys about, you know, <laughs> the person who does the best gets the thing, yeah. you know. <laughs> You know, oh. meanwhile, like my thought just, my brain's just going. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, 
as long as I, as long as people around me that I was working with could see that I was actively working, working to it. get myself better, everyone was cool about it. It's like in the same way, like say, if you had a colleague here at FBI that was like, "Yep, type two diabetic, who wants to come for donuts?" Mm-hmm. You're like, "Man, you're not looking after yourself, and you're going to lose a foot." Yeah. All right. In the same way, like if if if, if someone who's who's got, say, for example, a, a, an illness like diabetes, particularly a type two diabetes, um. Or even type one, like that's how you're born. That's what you've got, mm. all right? And if they don't take care of it and they don't look after themselves and they're not out there every day looking after their, their, their lifestyle, you're like, it, it, it makes everyone else feel uncomfortable because, mm. you know, and it's the same way with mental health. If this is the brain, and this is the brain I've got, all right? This is the one that I came yeah, out with, all right? so you got to take care of it. This is, this is just how I, you know, you've got to do this stuff. You've got to take it seriously. And, and I find that if you show other people how hard you're working, people tend to relax a lot about it. Yeah. If you, uh, you know, if you are sick and you are not doing anything about it and using recreational drugs or self-medicating, that's when, well, in Things my experience, that's when the jobs disappear. Because yeah. people are like, oh, we can't. No, no sure. don't, don't hire him. Well, thank you for sharing your story with us, Usher. Oh, no worries. Look, that's the any, short version. <laughs> yeah, it is the short version. It is the short version. But if you do want to go um, listen to the long version, ABC on True Tales and... is it Tall Tales and True. Tall Tales and True. Yeah, you yeah. can go and actually listen to, to Osh's story about his dealings with mental health. And, and it's yeah. really insightful. And look, to any of you out there that are experiencing anything in this way or if this chat has brought up any feelings um you can uh, give headspace a call on 1-800-650-890 or lifeline on 13 11 14 both of their websites are also incredible as well but look we've got to move on to the music again the next oh, song yeah. you got for us what are you going to play for number two i can't believe we're only at number two i mean there's too much how much time have we got we've, we've got a little bit of time we've probably got enough time for one more song after we do one more chat so what are you going to play as number two so hey okay, okay. so i originally Serge asked me to come here with six songs <laughs> and i gave him this um, I gave him this ex- extensive list of, yeah. of, of songs that I, I loved completely, but also songs that would make me look cool to the FBI listeners. <laughs> um, I think this is a really important one. Okay. okay, so we'll do Primus, My Name is Mud.
You're listening to Out of the Box on FBI Radio. My name is Serge Negus. My guest today is Osher Ginsberg. He's a director of SANE. He's a media personality, host The Bachelorette and The Bachelor, obviously. You would definitely know him. But look, you know, one of the biggest news items this year, Osher, in the last year, has been the exposure of kind of this culture of sexual abuse, assault and intimidation of women particularly in the entertainment industries. And I'm fascinated to know what your thoughts are on the issue. My thoughts on? Basically, the you know, Me Too campaign, the Harvey Weinstein issues, you know, the Burks, all of this issue. Of, oh, around of, the way that yeah. men in positions of power... Uh, are manipulating those positions, yeah. Uh, are manipulating those positions. Um, well, I think it's bloody awful. And um, I'm really grateful that... Uh, like, it's horrible that it's happened for so long. Mm. Um I'm grateful that this stuff is getting pulled out into the sunlight mm. because it will. It has no place in any workplace. So I remember I would, I would often think to myself sometimes, like, and you know, I was, uh, you know, like anyone, man, like, and you hear it all the time. It's like, well, I was worried about losing my job, so I didn't say anything, you know. Yeah. Um, Sometimes I'd, I'd look around and be like, man, if this was an office, there's no way. Like, if this was an actual, like, an office with cubicles and yeah. shit, like, there's no way <laughs> whatever just happened could possibly happen. Yeah, well. You know? But, so is it something that you've witnessed somewhat of? Um, I think anybody, that tell, anybody that's worked in radio and television, commercial radio and television uh, in Australia who says they haven't is, is lying. probably, well, probably wasn't completely naive or yeah. never oblivious but or completely oblivious but yeah absolutely i've i've you know i've witnessed you know guys behaving like pigs man yeah. but you know that happens in every industry yeah, so, yeah and, sure. and i'm really grateful i'm super happy that this is that this is happening i'm, I'm really really happy that it's happening no. um because i mean i got i got i won the lottery surge i i got born white male middle class and straight all right i'm as lucky as it gets mm. i ain't in australia all right yeah. well i live in, born in london but i was living in australia i'm as lucky as it bloody gets all right and so for me to have the career i've had i've had privilege stack my way since the moment i could weep all right but that's not the same for everybody and it's really important that we're now moving to a place where those privileges are being uh, recognized and you know it's a system that we live in that is you know built by and you know enforced by for the benefit of other white male you know mm. straight people um so anything that goes to kind of knock that down is brilliant because you know if you want to think about it from a purely things you like to watch and listen to point of view how much awesome content are we missing out on because yeah. we're only hearing this one particular point of view? For sure. How many point. awesome, fucking awesome films and TV shows and albums and books are we not reading from people from <coughs> all different parts of culture? Men, women, you know, people who don't identify as either. Yeah. You know, how many stories are we not hearing? And so I'm really grateful that this is happening in our industry. It'll happen in every industry. Um, it'll happen in finance. It'll happen in politics. And I'm... It'll take a couple of years and mm. it'll change the way we do things. Um, but I'm really grateful that it's happening. Some would argue that, uh, you know, a show like The Bachelor and The Bachelorette, you know, denigrates women and reinforces gender stereotypes. I mean, how does that sit with you as the host? Um, I can see why people would say that. I, 
I do not agree with it. Mm-hmm. Why not? Um, I do not agree with it because when I see the women that show up mm-hmm. for The Bachelor, they're all very clever. They're all, you know, the large majority is self-made career women. They're all, um, you know, have a, a very, uh, very charismatic and they're all, you know, very powerful in their own way. Mm. And they've all chosen with their own free will, completely informed, this experience of going to come on this show is a thing that I want to do. Mm. And at every single point along that way, the the emotional and first the physical and emotional well being of these people is a hundred percent cared for. You would you would not believe the amount of emotional support and psychological support that anybody that comes anywhere near these shows is given. That's right? interesting. Yeah. Um, I'm talking like two psychologists on call all time, like uh, support for as long as you want, like the, the, the whole thing. Then when we do the show the other way around, mm. where it's one woman and lots of men, it's it's the same. And mm. then I love, I love seeing, you know, buffy Australian blokes who've mm-hmm. never had to really try too hard to <laughs> to find a, a, a lady to, you know, spend some intimate time with. Um, just getting shut down mm. by a woman that's like, actually, no, I don't care about your boat. Mm. Yeah, <laughs> Are yeah. you a nice man? Um, and then when we do this new version, which we've just, we've just finished shooting a, a show called Bachelor in Paradise, it's everyone in there together. And it's freaking awesome, man. It's it's really it's it's really great and and the other thing because I watch the show I watch it you know I watch it, I even though I make it I, I watch it I watch it with my uh, my stepdaughter who's thirteen moving on fourteen, and and the, we get to watch it together and we get to learn about um, you know she gets to learn about and we get to learn together I get to learn from her about why would why would that girl say that to him or why would he say that to her that's not very nice and and you know just mm. I find it really really Does interesting it not, though like I mean given your role as a, a mental health advocate th- there are key elements or at least in the production side and the way the show's put together you know it, it's oh, i mean they stress people out like and then people get stressed out like and then is there not a conflict between your role as a mental health advocate and your role as a host on the show no absolutely a- not i was telling the story the other day to uh because oh, i was sharing a um when you're on location you just live in high ace vans all right so i was sharing a high ace with our um our onset psych and i was telling her about the very first uh, experience I had with reality television, which was Australian Idol, where we were taking these, um, you know, it was massive. The show was getting like, you just can't make these numbers anymore, no matter, I don't care who you are. Um, you just can't get two, 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 five million people watching the show. And we were taking these people who, I don't know, served chock tops at the local, you know, cinema, um, but were an incredible singer. And they were the most famous person in a, they were 19, and they were the most famous, I mean, I, mean, I am conflating four or five different people, so it's not one particular person. Um, they became the most famous person in Australia for three weeks and then nothing. And I remember saying to my EP, we can't just let them back out in the wild, man. This mm. is not okay. And he's like, actually, yeah, you're right. And then the next week we had an onset psych who you know, debriefed with them and then stayed with them and then you know, kept checking in to make sure everything was okay. And you Because know, if you've never been on TV or whatever and suddenly 
you're walking down the street and people are screaming your name or people are running up to you and grabbing you in the, in the shopping. What are you trying to do? Your groceries. It's really weird and mm. frightening. And yeah. it's super important that we care for those people. And like any workplace, there's a massive duty of care that we that we have. And, and uh, on our show, we have... Um, from the, the the producers who work really closely with our with the people that come on our show to the story producers to our, um, our, our show producers to our executive producers all the way to the network producer, all women, all women. Okay. All right, and that's super super important. And the men that are involved are all you know guys that have young daughters. Yeah. And it's really really important that people know how much. I mean, these people are coming to us, and essentially they're trading their emotional reactions um, as currency, all right? Mm. That's what reality television is. It's pretty wild, isn't it? It is, but we (laughs) take enormous responsibility on once those emotional reactions have happened to care for them and that care is is really really important to all of us, and there's no way any of us would be involved if we're any other way. Is it? It's it's interesting, you know. Like I've watched your career since I was a little kid, and I mean, I was obsessed with you and your Andrew George Channel Band. Like, <laughs> I, I mean, what is your ultimate goal as a media personality? Is it hosting a show like this? Is it doing something above and beyond? What what is it for you? What do you oh, want to ultimately end up doing? Oh, look, any 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 boy or girl, you know, who has a an ounce of well, I might want to make the world a bit of a better place when I leave it who doesn't want to grow up and be you know John Stewart or John Oliver or mm. you know Samantha B um, and I'm you know so thrilled to see uh, Tom Ballard get his show up uh, tonightly um, you know but now Tom Ballard's got the show up so no one else is going to make that show so oh, I'm going to figure out something else to do um, I think I would like to you know honestly I th- I'd love to kind of grow old um, I, like what I would love to do, really, what I'd really love to do is I'd like to I'd like to beat Koshi and Carl from a laptop. <laughs> I'd like to I'd like to create the next breakfast show that utterly you know sets the agenda of the day and just destroys um, a current embedded um, free to wear breakfast TV. That's I'd, I'd I vouch do. for that to be honest because I really I do. do think that those shows need to be knocked off the perch. I I totally vouch for that. Well, look, Osha, it has actually been an absolute pleasure having you on today. Um, you're as bubbly as anyone I'm sure listening would imagine songs. you to be. Three songs. We got three songs. We only songs. got three songs. I know, I know. It was hard. Shit. I kind of thought that might happen. Sorry, everyone. I kind, of, I kind of thought that it might happen. But look, you know, three three good songs and lots of good chat. I mean, that I think that's fine. Okay. So what, me, what, what wait, are wait, you going to play? Wait, what wait, are you going to play last? Uh, uh, what song are we going to play last? Mm. All right, we'll go out. We'll go out with this one because we played some primers before, which mm-hmm. was meant to, you know, kind of personify the, um, the the I'm playing bass in a in a weird funk band with a yep, flute player. Nice. We don't play anything in four four. No, we only play <laughs> stuff in fives and sevens. What do you mean, Powderfinger got signed? Oh wow, let's go. Um, so that was meant to personify that. Um, being, I did a lot of work in commercial radio, mm-hmm. right, and uh, I. Even though I was like right into stuff like Frank Zappa and and um, uh, Carl Stockhausen and all kinds of weird, you know, Herbie Hancock and Kraftwerk and all kinds of really really weird electronic stuff, I kind of had to find a way to love pop music. Mm-hmm. And you're not going to play something ridiculous like you know, oh god, like how poppy are you going to go here? You're going to well, re- I did want to play Carly Rae Jepsen's "Call Me Maybe." Oh god, no, please no, Serge. Please no. It is one of the greatest pop songs I know, ever constructed. I mean, I don't think we can in make it. In the same our, way, I, I know, we're on FBI. But we can't the, make our audiences ears bleed. I know that, can't. but in the same... Look, hey, 
you got to understand, Serge, that is some people's favourite song. It is. Oh, no, I, I agree. It's an incredible song. See, we, we'd be getting, we might get death threats if, if no, we no, 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 no. It's a really, really great song. And that's the thing, because I used to be the death threat guy. I know, let's play, a very, let's play a very FBI song. So the other song I was thinking of playing was Christopher Cross's Ride Like the Wind, but we won't go there. Okay. Um, we're going to play Faith No More, Digging the Grave. Nice. Now, Faith No More is, is one of the bands that... I just absolutely love the dual life that, well, more than that, dual life that Mike Patton, the lead singer, lived. He was in this super poppy band called Faith No More, pop rock band called Faith No More, which had um, the big hit, um, you want it all, but you can't have it. All right. <laughs> but then he was also in this astonishing band called Mr. Bungle, right? Yeah. Mind-blowing band called Mr. Bungle. And um, then he went on to do this other band called Tomahawk, which was kind of halfway between the two. Mr. Bungle was pretty weird. I went and saw the <laughs> sax player and everyone wore stockings on their heads. But then they had these, these two humongous records and then the lead guitar player, Jim Martin, left. And I'm like, well, what are we going to do now? And they came out with a band, an album called King for a Day, Fool for a Lifetime. And this is the opening track of it. And it, every time I hear this song, it just, it just reminds me of like, they just went, well... Looks like we're never going to have a top 10 again. What are we going to do? We don't care. And they just made this record and it is brilliant. Amazing. Well, Osha, thank you so much again. Stick around because coming up next is my Billick with lunch. And uh, in the meantime, enjoy this one. Hey, boy, boy. 